Democrats and Republicans don't agree on much. And generally speaking, they don't agree on healthcare policy. Today's guests document those divisions in a new book and leave us with a richer understanding of what animates the two parties and their thinking on these important policies. They are Robert Hackey and Todd Olszewski this week on Story in the Public Square. Welcome to Story in the Public Square, where storytelling meets public affairs. I'm Jim Lutis from the Pell Center at Salve Regina University. And I'm G. Wayne Miller with the Providence Journal. This week, we're joined by Robert Hackey and Todd Olszewski, two professors of health policy at Providence College, who are also co-authors of a new book, Today's Healthcare Issues, Democrats and Republicans. Gentlemen, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having us. Thank you. So there's, uh, we want to get into the book, and we're really fascinated by the approach because unlike a lot of authors, you're sort of presenting both sides. But Bob, tell us in your own words, what, what's the book about? So Jim, the book is about contested health policy issues. Uh, we're trying to introduce the public, and our, our, our audience is really an informed reader, um, but not an expert. Uh, so we're trying to make a resource available for folks who are you know, taking this book out of public libraries or for students and faculty at college and university libraries to learn more about the health policy debates. Uh, and these are intensely partisan. And so what we're trying to do is to educate folks about where the two sides are coming from. Uh, our approach is, is to let the, the voices speak for themselves. Uh, so we have uh, Democratic perspectives, Republican perspectives, um, but we don't endorse a particular position. Our, our, our mission is, is to try to help folks understand uh, where the two parties are coming from. So Todd, you know, uh, beyond the, the idea that the publisher came and asked you to do this, why this book, why now? I think the, the answer to that is why not, given that we are sort of in a time of political polarization, the book provides us an opportunity to examine partisan rhetoric and policy making in the present day, to be able to capture what politicians and policymakers are saying uh, and doing right now, at least with respect to health care and health policy, and then to put those actions into historical context. So, so, Bob, we're going to get into uh, specific issues as we get a little further into the show, but just broadly speaking, can you outline the positions held now on health policy by Democrats and then also by Republicans? Well, Wayne, I think one of the, the fundamental questions that we explore in this book, and, and which is really evident in each of the chapters, is what role government should play in the healthcare system. That's really the, you know, a fundamental divide here. And the two parties come down on, on very different sides. Uh, for Democrats, uh, a, a larger, um, more, more involved approach to both regulation uh, and, and focusing on issues such as equity is really important in, in pretty much all of these policy domains. Um, and, and Democrats tend to view government as more of a benevolent problem solver um, and, and look to government for solving important health policy problems. 
Uh, Republicans, in contrast, uh, tend to view government as a threat to liberty. Uh, and we see that in most of these chapters as well. Um, and so we're seeing a real tension here, um, which really speaks to, to this particular moment we find ourselves in, um, where, where it's really difficult to forge consensus. Uh, the parties are coming at these very difficult issues, whether it's questions of, of reproductive health care, the Affordable Care Act, uh, vaccination, um, from fundamentally different value positions. Uh, and I think that's one of the things we're hoping to do is to educate readers uh, about the, you know, the foundations for, and, and the origins of those differences. So, Tom, oh, sorry. Go no, go ahead, Todd. I was go going ahead. to add to sort of Bob's point. Uh, one of the key questions will be whether the government will occupy a more central role in addressing perceived shortcomings of our healthcare system and drive healthcare reform, or will the private sector sort of mm -hmm. occupy that position? So Republicans oppose the Affordable Care Act, aka Obamacare. Obviously, what else? What else do they want? Where else do they stand? in terms of healthcare policy in, in, in the year 2021? So I think, you know, if you look back at the Trump administration, uh, you started to see some, some elements of this emerging. President Trump never offered a comprehensive alternative to the Affordable Care Act. Uh, in fact, Republicans were more, op uh, more united in opposition to the ACA than, than it kind of its support of a common framework. Uh, we saw that in their attempts to, to repeal the ACA in 2017, which failed. Um, but certainly the emphasis on pricing transparency uh, really underscores the point that Todd made. Uh, a greater emphasis on markets, uh, a greater emphasis on individual responsibility for health as opposed to collective responsibility for health. Um, and so this notion is uh, you know, government has a role, but it's really limited to, to trying to ensure that there is a functioning level of competition in the marketplace uh, and that healthcare um, is essentially like other goods and services. Uh, Democrats view it fundamentally as a different thing. It's not like other goods. Uh, and, and Democrats argue that in many cases it should be removed from the market, that, that you know, your, your individual ability to pay, your, your notion of shopping as a consumer shouldn't drive your use of healthcare services. So that... Uh, go ahead. No, that, that really drives to the issue of whether healthcare is a right, mm -hmm. which is certainly the case uh, in many other countries, or a commodity. And you have an entire chapter on this. And so I guess maybe, Todd, you can take this question. Do you come down on one side or the other or, or not in terms of, of your book? This is a really good question. And, and it's uh, an important enough question that we actually have two chapters devoted to it, to it in the book. We have the sort of healthcare as a right or commodity chapter, which I authored. And then Bob authored, co-authored uh, a single payer system uh, chapter. And I, I think the real question here as to whether or not healthcare is a basic human right or not drives many of the responses, many of the sort of party responses to many of the chapter topics throughout the book. Uh, and universal coverage as a policy goal or as a specter of, of government overreach is perhaps the perfect extension of this debate as to whether healthcare is uh, a universal human right to be protected uh, and uh, to be protected by uh, the government, or if it's something else, if it is, it's more of a 
commodity, a market good, and the government has a slightly different kind of role in moving that forward within our system. Todd, as, as a student of history, do you recognize uh, other, other periods in American history where two parties, uh, the two parties, Democrats, Republicans in the modern era, uh, have been so fundamentally at odds with the underlying values and principles that they bring to the healthcare debate? Or is this, are we, are we in completely untrod territory today? It's neither old nor new. Uh, the parties have disagreed uh, on many fundamental issues for a significant period of time. The single payer question has been debated uh, since the 1920s and 1930s. Uh, the gun rights question has been debated uh, for uh, perhaps just as long, maybe more so the post-World War II um, America. So I think we feel as if it is new. We are living this in real time and we are seeing the rhetoric become uh, increasingly heated. So we feel as if this is something that is new. But I think throughout the course of our book, throughout all the chapters, we see that many of these partisan tensions aren't quite as new as we sort of would think them to be. So I, Peggy, yeah, Bob, I remember your, uh, Bob, I remember your earlier research uh, on cries of crisis. Uh, and that's something that both parties have embraced: is that that, that the American healthcare is fundamentally broken. Um, is there is there a is there a brighter future where we might actually get something done, or are the parties going to hold on to these divisions as a way of uh, turning out their voters in, in contested elections? I do think that's a key factor, Jim. Uh, I would also say, um, to kind of echo Todd's point, uh, you know, everything old is new again. Uh, we've been talking about uh, the need for healthcare reform for more than a century in this country. Uh, we really go back to the progressive era with Teddy Roosevelt and 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 you know the first decades of the 20th century here, um, and and partisan discord has been the the norm, not the exception. Uh, so I think that's that's an important thing. Um, and I did want to circle back to Wayne's question, um, you know, because I think much of the partisan discord really does focus on whether this is a right or not. And if so, uh, how much of a right to care we have? Um, and I think the, the challenging thing in the U.S., um, and this is, this is one of the biggest issues we face, it is, the answer is both to Wayne's question. Uh, we view healthcare as both a right and a commodity. Um, and, in, and I think in the current U.S. context, um, it's really challenging because uh, healthcare represents one out of every six dollars in our economy. It's, it's, it's a multi-trillion dollar industry. Um, and there are huge stakes as we start to undertake reform. Um, so as you know, this is a very crowded interest group space. Um, everybody who is affected, whether it's pharmaceutical manufacturers, um, whether it's medical laboratories, hospitals, doctors, patients, insurers, everybody is worried about what reform means for them. Um, and so when we talk about healthcare as a right in this country, we have, we have in principle endorsed that. Uh, and we actually have legislation. We have something called MTALA, the Emergency Medical Treatment and Active Labor Act, which was passed back in the 1980s. Uh, and this is the, the law that says that hospitals can't turn you away if you present yourself uh, at the emergency room, that you must be cared for and stabilized. Um, but we haven't extended that. Uh, and then if you look at other countries, you know, even you know, many of our EU competitors, um, that, the right to healthcare is enshrined in the Constitution um, as, as kind of a positive right. Um, and here in the U.S., we have not done that, um, and I think that that is 
um, you know, a, a challenge for us as we start to, to struggle with with this question in here in 2021 um, of, of where do we go? Can we do Medicare for all? Can we, how, how expansive do we want the role of government to be? Um, lurking in the background is, is this huge overlay of, of an industry um, that, that employs millions of Americans and it touches all of us. Uh, and when you start to reform it, um, it can have significant consequences for all of us. And, and of course, that industry has many lobbyists in Washington and state capitals as well. But Bob, I, I have another question here. Obviously, there's a significant political divide between Democrats and Republicans. And many residents belong to one party or the other. But what does polling or other research tell us about the American people looking past the partisan divide? Is there any sense of what the American people want or what percentage of people would like a national plan or not? Just elaborate on that if you can. And then maybe, Todd, you can, after Bob speaks, weigh in as well. Yeah, for sure, Wayne. Uh, so on the one hand, um, and again, I think this is the, this is the, um, the divide we face. Uh, when you ask the American public, and we've done so for decades, and do you support the notion that health care should be available to all Americans? Uh, in principle, people say yes, and, and, and a solid majority of the country uh, will come down uh, in favor of that. When you ask a, a more nuanced question, which is essentially, um, would you be willing to pay an extra $100 a month to ensure that all Americans have access to health care? Or are you willing to limit your choice of providers if necessary to make sure that all Americans have access to healthcare. Once we get into the, into the weeds, in other words, support drops precipitously. Um, and I think that we, we saw that before the Affordable Care Act, uh, we see that now. Um, polling on Medicare for All suggests that certainly Americans are in, in principle are, are supportive of, of universal coverage, uh, but they don't want any of the circumstances in which they access healthcare to change. Uh, that's not terribly realistic. Todd, uh, do, uh, do you want to add to that? Uh, I would move it in a slightly different direction in terms of thinking about sort of our current experience with the pandemic and thinking about sort of the COVID-19 pandemic because the degree to which sort of Bob's uh, points really capture quite well this political reality, we also are experiencing this moment where we see the ways in which political polarization is having a direct impact on public health in the United States and the ways in which Democrats and Republicans have disagreed sort of at almost every juncture during the pandemic from the very beginning, uh, whether about sort of the origins of the disease, uh, its severity, its name, and even uh, the, the pandemic uh, responses that we've all experienced over the last 18 months with respect to stay-at-home orders, mask mandates, uh, vaccine mandates. So it's almost as if with all of this uh, taken together, sort of one's political identity defines sort of how you perceive the pandemic and, and how you even conduct your life during the pandemic. We need to take a quick moment for station identification. This is Story in the Public Square, where storytelling meets public affairs. An audio version of this show can be heard four times every weekend on Sirius XM Satellite Radio's popular Politics of the United States. That's the POTUS channel, number 124. We produce Story in the Public Square with a great crew at Rhode Island PBS, and we're lucky to work with them. I'm Jim Lutis. On most days, you can find me running the Pell Center at Salve Regina University in beautiful Newport, Rhode Island. 
If you want to connect with me on Twitter, you can do so at JM Lutus. Joining me as he does every week in the co-host chair is my friend G. Wayne Miller, who is an award-winning journalist with the Providence Journal and the author of 19 books. You can find Wayne on Twitter too, at G. Wayne Miller. And our guests this week are two professors of health policy at Providence College, Go Friars. Robert Hackey and Todd Olszewski are also co-authors of a new book, Today's Healthcare Issues, Democrats and Republicans. You can follow Bob on Twitter, at Bob Hackey. That's B-O-B-H-A-C-K-E-Y. And you can follow Todd at Todd underscore Olszewski. I'll spell that. It's T-O-D-D underscore O-L-S-Z-E-W-S-K-I. So that this this sort of this is something we chatted about yesterday when we were getting, when we did our little pre-interview. I I find myself struggling. You 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 guys present such a wonderfully balanced approach to 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 what the policy prescriptions of Democrats and Republicans are that it's really a useful uh, explanation of that terrain. But what I find myself struggling with, and this may reveal my own bias, is that it feels to me, particularly around issues around the pandemic that so much of the Republican Party has bought into ideology over science that I have a hard time taking them seriously when we're talking about, you know, mask policies and mask mandates and vaccines. Um, you know, the, the, the amount of, uh, of, of disinformation that has been pumped out of prominent Republican either commentators or um, politicians really sort of belies any seriousness in my mind on anything having to do with healthcare, am I am I completely out of bounds on that? No, Jim, I don't think you're out of bounds on that. I think, but I do think that that underscores the 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 divide we're seeing here in the U.S. I mean, I think one of the things I look back at, um, you know, before the you know before the election midterm elections in 2018, the, the Pew Research Foundation did some wonderful polling, um, and they did the same thing again in 2020, um, asking people how they thought of the other party. Um, and, and one of the things I, I think is, is, is really telling for us at this particular moment, uh, the, the survey Pew, that Pew did in, in 2020 asked, you know, uh, Democratic and, and Republican supporters of, of President Trump and, 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 and Joe Biden, uh, how they would feel if the other side won. And more than 90% of Democrats uh, felt that the country uh, would, would face, you know, really, you know, fundamental um, kind of dangers if, uh, if the opposition party won and Republicans felt the same way. Um, and I think one of, the, one of the biggest challenges here um, that we're facing is trying to reason together. Now, with Linda Johnson, you know, I had a wonderful phrase, you know, come, let us reason together, you know, in terms of working out solutions to, to policy issues. Um, there's a lot of heat, not a lot of light happening in Washington. So to your point, I, I, I don't think in many cases um, Republicans are interested in finding that middle ground. Uh, I, I do think um, they perceive these policies, whether it's a mask mandate, uh, a lockdown, um, social distancing requirements, they see them as a fundamental overreach of government. Um, and and there, you know, what I think is so telling about this era is I, I often think back when we were having these conversations about COVID uh, to the 1950s when you know, when we were trying to defeat polio and the jo you know, Jonas Salk and and his and his colleagues you know, introduced the polio vaccine. Uh, the amount of rancor that we see with this vaccine 
is so different and it's, in, it's infused with just partisanship. Uh, many people uh, are, are willing to have uh, other vaccines uh, and don't question the validity of science that a polio vaccine works, that a MMR vaccine works. But when you introduce the COVID vaccine, um, that, that's a, a bridge too far. Uh, and I, I think that speaks to the moment we're in. Uh, science and politics are, for better or worse, at this juncture, uh, fused. Um, and I think I, 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 and I don't. I wish I had a solution for that. I, I, I I'm going to have to beg off on that one because I, I don't. Um, and it's, 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 it's. Uh, um, I, I think one of our biggest challenges here is, is frankly, the loss of confidence in science and in so evidence. So, Bob, is, is there any way really to address that? You know, we've, we recently had on the show someone I'm sure you know, uh, Dr. Ashish Jha. He's the dean of Brown University School of Public Health, and he's one of the nation's and indeed the planet's top pandemic experts and researchers. And so uh, the question really is, why, given even the, the political circumstances of today, why do not more people place their trust in in science. I mean, you gave great examples historically of where science, quote unquote, saved the day. I mean, literally for many people did. Why has this happened? Do you know the factors behind it, A, and B, do you have any hope it can be changed and how might it be changed? A lot of questions there, I realize, but maybe you can take a crack at it and then maybe Todd can. Yeah, I, I, I think Todd's going to bring a, a, a more historical perspective. And yeah, as a historian of science, I think he, he will bring some, some things that, to the plate that I won't. Uh, I think one of the things for me, uh, it's not just confined to the U.S. Uh, we're, we're seeing similar discussions in Europe, not to the same extent, but, but this, this challenging of scientific orthodoxy is, is happening. Um, and uh, I don't fully understand uh, all of the, the, the reasons behind that, except that we have... Um, a really difficult political and media culture at this juncture. I, I've been reading some interesting stuff about um, how we try to educate folks on social media. And, and one of the remarkable things that seems to be occurring is that when public health officials um, post clarifications or comments on various sites, whether it's, whether it's Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, um, to say, no, let me clarify this, this concern, um, what is really driving a lot of the misinformation is the comments sections. Uh, in response to those posts. Um, so you essentially, you have you know, one kind of evidence-based public health post, and then you have um, hundreds, if not thousands, of, of people piling on in the comments section, uh, attacking um, and, 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 and offering alternative sources of evidence. Uh, I think the, the, the availability of um, alternative sources of evidence, um, aka quackery, uh, for lack of a better better phrase, um, is is, um, is is greater than ever before. Um, and you know, I mean, I think it's re remarkable that folks are using um, you know medicines that were designed to to, to treat horses in, in an effort to to ward off COVID. Uh, there's no scientific basis for that. Uh, and yet, you know, we see not only millions of Americans kind of entertaining alternative perspectives, but, but people actually now organizing groups to try to figure out how to self-dose 
uh, you know, veterinary medicine as an approach to treating COVID. Um, that's a brave new world. Uh, I'm not quite sure how we went down this rabbit hole, but it is, it is a, um, this is, this is not, and I think that before I pass the baton to Todd, I will say this. I mean, I have confidence in American institutions in general, as you guys probably are well aware, has declined precipitously since the 1960s. Uh, that includes government, it includes the media, it includes all the profession of medicine, all, all sorts of groups, law, et cetera. We've seen a you know, steady decline in public trust and support for various institutions. I think science is not immune to that. So Todd, your take on this. I would second everything Bob said almost entirely. Uh, social media and the internet has given more Americans wider access to more information. The question is, to what degree is that information veritable and verifiable? So true. And I think that taken uh, alongside the fact that COVID denialism is part of sort of a, a longer historical trend if we think about the climate change debate, if we think about uh, sort of the history of uh, sort of tobacco and cigarettes, we see many of these same tensions between entrenched interests and sort of public health and public knowledge. And I think we're seeing that sort of rise again uh, in the case of COVID, especially with respect to uh, the vaccine and sort of trust or distrust in uh, pharma and what that means for uh, the public's reception uh, to the vaccine. We've got about uh, two minutes left here and we could spend an entire episode talking about this, but uh, let's talk a little bit about women's reproductive health. Uh, a cynic would have you believe that the party sort of adopted a stasis in the politics of, of, of uh, abortion access uh, as a way of mobilizing their bases and they never were going to go much further to break that, that stalemate because that would be bad for their politics. Texas, however, has, has taken that step. Um, where do you come down uh, on this? And is, is, there, is there a middle ground to be had on women's reproductive health issues between the two parties, or is this a divide that will never be bridged? And Todd, why don't we start with you? I sense that this is a bridge that, will, that we will never be able to divide. Uh, I think uh, the, the notion of women's rights uh, playing out alongside uh, fetal rights uh, is, is so deeply entrenched, has uh, both religious and uh, political underpinnings that very much along the lines of, of many of the, much of the conversation we've already had, uh, we have two sides that have fundamentally different sets of uh, values and principles and perceptions of what the government uh, should or should not do. Uh, in terms of regulating health behaviors or defining uh, what constitutes uh, a healthcare right or not, um, I believe we will uh, always be on uh, on fundamentally different sides. Bob, in about the 45 seconds we've got left, we're about a year away from the 2022 midterm elections. Uh, where do you think, uh, what role do you think healthcare plays in that debate next year? I think it plays a huge role, Jim. I think, first of all, COVID is going to continue to loom large in the, the 2022 elections. Um, to the extent to which COVID remains um, a, 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 a continually uh, present factor for us, if we don't 
substantially increase vaccination rates if we continue to have high rates of transmission, uh, that is going to directly affect the American economy. I think one of the interesting things here is we're seeing a you know, kind of a divergence. You know, so for many Democratic states uh, where vaccination rates are high and vaccination rates and party uh, membership, uh, party affiliation track very closely, um, COVID is, is a significant challenge, but it's not reaching the levels we're seeing in states like, for example, Alaska and Idaho, uh, where you have, you know, and, and certainly many states in the, in the Deep South, where we have low vaccination rates, high rates of transmission among the unvaccinated. Um, we're, we're really kind of seeing uh, two Americas on this front, uh, kind of moving in very different directions. Um, but that's going to have an impact on the election. Um, and, and that... That, I'm sorry to say, is where we've got to leave it, Bob. Uh, Bob Hackey, Todd Olszewski, this is a phenomenal conversation. The book is important. Today's healthcare issues, Democrats and Republicans, thank you for being with us. That's all the time we have this week. If you want to know more about Story in the Public Square, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter or visit PellCenter.org. For Wayne, I'm Jen, asking you to join us again next time for more Story in the Public Square.